Today we come to the end of our series that we're calling Complete, sort of the completion of the complete series. And in this uh, series of lessons, we've been talking about the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, a group of Christians that he had never met. And Paul's primary message is very simple. Jesus is a complete picture of God. Everything that was present in God is present in Jesus Christ, the human being. So he's fully God and fully man, a complete picture of both things. And because of that, Paul then takes that and applies that in lots of different ways. But the, the major one in, in what he applies to us is that Jesus makes us complete as well. No, we're not a complete picture of God, but we are complete pictures of humanity. He changes us and makes us into the people that he wants us to be. Now, when you hear that, maybe you're thinking, I don't feel very complete. In fact, I would say I feel incomplete. I'd say there's lots of things about me that need to change. Lots of things that need to be a whole lot better than they are right now. And that's probably true for all of us. So we're not complete in the sense that we're where we want to be, this is sort of a lifelong process, but we have to see that when we're baptized, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and make the decision to follow him, we're baptized into Christ, we are made complete in that we have a new relationship with God that will last for eternity. We're made complete in that we are forgiven of our sins. All those things are set at that point, but from that point forward, God is working in us. God is forming us and reforming us into the people that he wants us to be. And, and it's up to us to allow him to do that. So we spend our lives allowing God to work in us to make us complete. Now, it's not going to be finished. And the truth is, we won't fully understand what this looks like until we're in eternity, spending our eternity with God. So that's all yet to be. But that's where Paul's taking us in this letter, dealing with some problems in Colossae by first helping them to understand who Jesus is. Now, as we come to the end of the letter, Paul gets into some really practical stuff. We're going to get there in a few minutes. But part of what he's getting at is us asking God for certain things. And, you know, for lots of us, we don't really want to ask God for anything. We don't want to ask anybody else for anything. I mean, we don't like that feeling of having to go to someone and saying, I need help with this because it says, at least in part, I am incomplete. There's something I don't know how to do or there's something I don't have that I need to borrow from you. And that makes us feel a little funny. And so we don't ask or we don't ask because we don't want to feel indebted, right? When someone does something for me, then I feel like well, I've got to do something for them, and if I don't, I owe them a debt. And so we avoid asking people for help because we don't like that feeling. And all that's the case if the person says yes. What if they say no? Then we're rejected and we have to deal with that really uncomfortable feeling. So for all those reasons, we tend to not want to ask people for things. And this can even work into our prayer relationship with God to that we don't want to ask God for certain things. Now, there are a couple things that feel like they're acceptable things to ask God for. In fact, we do it a lot as a church. We feel like it's okay to ask other people to pray for me if I'm sick. Okay, I don't want to ask people to pray about a lot of stuff, but if I'm sick, it's okay. And in fact, we send out prayer emails almost every day, and, and most of those prayer needs in that email have to do with people being sick. We feel like it's something you do when you're sick is you ask people to pray for you. And you know what? 
we should do that. That is entirely appropriate. If we're sick, if someone we love is sick, we should ask the people in this room to pray for them. But you know what? It doesn't go much further than that. I mean, we print a bulletin prayer list, we send out the email, but it's mostly about sick people. But let's say in your marriage, you're struggling this morning. I mean, it feels like it's in crisis. You're not sure which direction it's going to go. Well, that's not something we really want to put on a prayer card and have the church know because it feels like, man, if they know I'm struggling in my marriage, it must mean that I or me and my spouse, we've somehow failed. And we don't want to admit that to people. And so we're afraid to ask people to pray about that. Or maybe we're struggling in our, parent, in our parenting. We, we don't know what to say to our kids. It's the right thing. It seems like we keep saying the wrong thing and they're headed in the wrong direction. We're worried about them. We don't want to ask people to pray about that because it feels uncomfortable. It feels private. Again, it feels like a failure. And so we don't. Maybe it's finances or work or, you know, most of those things don't show up on our prayer list because it feels a little uncomfortable. And so we don't ask people to pray about those things. Well, today I want us to think a little bit about that. Paul talks about prayer and he talks about asking each other to pray about stuff. And I want us to see what he asked the Christians in Colossae to pray about. Because I think it's something that we sometimes miss as well. Now, if we come to chapter 4 in Colossians, what we find is two main sections. And I encourage you to read chapter 4. It won't take long. It's really short. In fact, the whole book is really short. If you haven't read it yet, do that. But in chapter 4, we have a section on prayer that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. And then we have this long section that's all personal greetings. Paul's saying, listen, say hello to this person, to that person. This person with me sends their greetings. This other person greets you. Remember, Paul's never been there, so he doesn't know a lot of these people, but he does know some because they visited him. So there's that personal stuff that reminds us this is actually a letter, right? It's not an abstract treatise on some religion. It's a letter from one person to a church that's dealing with real issues. And we're, we're good to remember that. But today I want us to look at just verses 2 through 6 because they talk a little bit about prayer. And Paul begins it this way, a general instruction about prayer. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, Paul was a leader among Jews. He was a Pharisee. He was a teacher. He was steeped in Jewish tradition. And it's probably true that Paul, like most Jews in the first century, paused at least three times a day for prayer. Set prayer times, morning, afternoon, evening, they would pause and they would pray to God. Okay, it was just part of life. Now, it's interesting that Paul never says to any of the churches or individuals that he writes to, you should follow this set pattern of prayer. But he does say things like this, devote yourselves to prayer. And what that basically means is make prayer part of your life. Make it part of everyday existence, not just once in a while and not just like a few minutes in the morning so it's done and you can move on to like real life and regular life, but make it part of 
who you are. And if you want to use a morning, noon, and night, that would be a way to do it. But, but Paul is really more general. Just make it part of your life, being watchful and thankful. And when we hear Paul say, be watchful in your prayer life, I mean, what immediately comes to my mind is Jesus telling his disciples, watch and pray. And when Jesus said that, it was all about being prepared. Being prepared for what's about to happen. Okay, Because life can throw us a curveball. Life can deal some pretty difficult things at times. And part of what Jesus was saying was be prepared. Be ready to ask God for help. Be ready to see God at work. And part of what Jesus was saying was be ready for when he comes back. So Paul says, be awake. Be alert. Be ready to pray about anything. When you see God at work, be ready to thank him. Be ready to seek him out. Be ready for God's action. And then be thankful. Now, the theme of thankfulness runs all the way through the letter to the Colossians. Last week, we talked about just three verses in chapter 3. And at the end of each one of those verses, 15, 16, 17, Paul concludes that statement with a call to thanksgiving or gratitude. And so here it shows up again. And that's appropriate. If he's talking about prayer, then he says part of prayer is being thankful. So be ready to see God, be thankful, make prayer part of everyday life. And then he has a prayer list for them. And this is what Paul asked the Christians in Colossae to pray about. He says, pray for us too. And this is Paul and Timothy. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul's prayer is, or his request for prayer is, pray for us that God would open a door for the message. Now we got to remember, what's, what's Paul's life calling? His calling is, take the message of Jesus, which begins in ancient Palestine, okay, in Judea. Jesus is a Jew. Paul is a Jew. The early Christians, all Jewish. Take that from this Jewish context and then take this message of Jesus all over the Roman Empire and share it with everyone, Jews and non-Jews, especially the Gentiles. Paul is reaching out to them, the non-Jews. They don't even know the God of the Old Testament. They don't know the God they're missing. And Paul says, part of my mission is to share the message of Jesus so they can know a relationship with the one true God. Not all the pagan gods that they follow, but the one true God who created them and loves them and is calling them into a relationship. So that's Paul's mission. And so he's asking these Christians, pray for the mission. Pray that, that I'll have open doors, that God will open doors so people are ready to, to hear the message of Jesus. Maybe it would be just a few people or even one. Maybe it would be large groups of people. Paul spoke to thousands. Either way, pray that the door would be open so people will hear about Jesus. Now, this message had to resonate with the Christians in Colossae because almost all of them are non-Jews. And so Paul's mission was to them. So I'm sure they were ready to pray for Paul to have open doors to talk about Jesus. And he says, pray that I can proclaim the mystery of Jesus. And we say, what's so mysterious? Remember, Paul's saying it was hidden. It was revealed when he became human and when he died on a cross, raised from the dead. Now it is opened up. Now everyone sees that it. it's revealed in Jesus. So it's not a mystery anymore. This is the truth of God. And he says, pray that I do it effectively. 
that when the doors are open and I walk through, I'm ready to share the message. Pray for me in that. Now here's the surprise in all this for me. That's Paul's request. It's all about being able to share the message of Jesus. It's all about his mission. But right in the middle of all that, let me read it again. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. And then here it is. For which I am in chains. Now, here's where I get a little surprised with Paul. Paul is either in prison in Rome because he's been preaching to the Gentiles and he got in trouble in Jerusalem because the Jews did not like that. Or he's in prison in Ephesus because he went to Ephesus, preached the message of Jesus. Lots of people who followed the pagan gods left their pagan gods to, to follow Jesus. And that upset everyone in town. There's this riot over all this because people are not worshiping Diana, their patron goddess. And they're very angry with Paul. Now, we don't have record of an imprisonment there, but we know the whole city is upset with him. And so he, if he's in prison in Ephesus, it's because he's preached Jesus. Now, here's the thing. If I go on a mission trip to a foreign country and I get put in prison because I'm preaching the message of Jesus and I write back to you, my brothers and sisters, my church, here is what I'm going to write. Please pray that I get out of here, right? Please pray that, that somehow I'm released, that the only reason I'm in jail is because I've been talking about Jesus. Pray that I can get home to my family. Pray that I can get home to you. That's what I'm writing to you. That's not what Paul wrote, is it? Paul's in prison. Instead of asking these Christians in Colossae to pray that he would somehow be released, he prays that God would use him in his mission. Now, later on, Paul does pray, ask them to pray about that too. So it's not that they shouldn't pray for his release, but and right here when he's talking seriously about prayer, his message to them is, pray that God will use me. Pray that I will fulfill the mission that God has placed on my life. And that impresses me because that is not the direction I would go. But it was so important to Paul. Now, he sort of gets his mind on evangelism and sharing the message of Jesus, and then he has some instructions for them as well. We'll pick that up in verse 5. He says, Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Paul says, You're going to have opportunities too. God's going to open doors for you as well. And I want you to be ready. So get prepared. Get ready to have answers for the people who, who talk to you. And, and he says, make sure your conversation is filled with grace. So when you have an opportunity and someone seems to be interested in Jesus, man, use that opportunity, he's saying. And when you do... Make sure your language is graceful. And, and the Greek allows for a double meaning in some ways, the same way that English does. It's partly, let, let the language you use be graceful. In other words, be kind, be gentle. Remember, grace is a gift, and our language about Jesus should be a gift from us to them. 
But it's also that, that what they say would be filled with grace. In other words, the message would be a message of grace. Here's the message. God's offered you a gift. The gift is that your sins can be forgiven. The gift is that you can have a relationship with the God who created you. That you can have meaning in your life because of that relationship. And that He offers you eternal life. There's your message. Deliver the message of grace in a graceful way. And he says, season it with salt. And we hear that and go, what in the world does that mean? Well, it's actually a pretty common way of talking in the ancient world. It basically meant when you talk, when you're trying to persuade someone of something, when you're speaking in front of a group, make it interesting. Okay? Make it something that they're engaged in. Don't just slam them that you're a terrible person and, and that, man, you've got to get fixed and I'm going to fix you. But make it interesting. And what Paul do when he told the story... Well, he did just that. Whenever he preaches in the book of Acts, Paul's example for us is he told the story. He told the story of how Jesus had changed his life, the difference that God made in him. And I think we can follow that example. People engage with stories, with narrative. And one of the ways of making it interesting is to talk about how God is at work in our lives. Maybe God has made an incredible change in our lives. Maybe God has been present in the midst of a struggle that we have. It could be lots of different things, but the point is to tell the story. Now, as I read through those verses, two through six, the lesson that I learned from Paul and his request for prayer is pretty simple. Pray for the mission. Pray for the mission. And I think in some ways, Paul is identifying a hole in some of our prayers. Because if you're at all like me, and you know, I don't know your prayer life. I don't know how much you pray. I don't know what you pray about. I can't know that. I can't presume to know that. But what I can tell you about my prayer life is that I don't pray for the mission enough. Because there are lots of times when I sit down to pray and all the stuff that I'm worried about, concerned about, the things that I need in my family life, the things that I want for my, my parents, for the church, all those things come to mind, and I forget the mission. Now, one clarification. Paul is not saying, don't pray for your family. Paul is not saying, don't pray for your marriage, your sickness, people grieving. Paul's not saying don't pray for any of that. In fact, if we read through Paul's letters, what we see is Paul calling for prayer for many, many different things. So it's not that he's saying this is the only thing to pray for, pray for the mission. But I think what he is saying is sometimes we miss this. Sometimes we forget to pray for the mission. And I can tell you, I do that. There are times when I get so caught up in whatever it is that's going on in my life that I forget to pray for the mission. And Paul here is reminding us that's at the core of who we are, both as individuals and as a church. We've been given a mission. The mission to share the message of Jesus with the people around us, whether they're our friends, our family, whether they're people in our community or communities that surround us, or people throughout the world. We've been given a mission, and we've got to fulfill that mission. You know, we as a church, 
I've said the way that we talk about our mission as a church is that we, we love God and love others. And so part of our prayer lives should be, okay, God, show us, show us how we respond to you in love, but God, show us how we love others. And it seems like that, that's pretty obvious, right? It's pretty easy just to love other people. But part of this is doing just what Paul says, watching for the open doors, being effective in it, taking advantage of the conversations that come our way, making the most of every opportunity. All those things are tied up in the mission that we've been given. And so the question for us is, man, am I praying about this? at all and maybe if we're really honest we have to admit I haven't prayed about that because I've been so caught up in other stuff but that's at the fore for Paul that was above his own needs that was the most important thing beyond release from prison beyond his chains that he talks about was the message you've been called to fulfill and so for us too Let's pray for the mission. Let's do that right now. God, you've given us this mission to love you, to love others, and through that to share the message of Jesus, the message of forgiveness and eternal life with the people around us. And God, we pray that you will use us to extend your mission. God, we pray that you'll work through this church, the other churches in our community, through missionaries that we're involved with around the world. God, we pray that you would use the church to fulfill the mission that you've given us to show people who Jesus is. God, we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.